You ready? Welcome back, everyone, to the Buff Hub, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Steve Vega, and I have a dear friend. I'm going to call you dear friend at this point because, wow, Sal, what a season, and we've been in contact, and slowly but surely, uh, you know, the Bills, they showed throughout the season just incredible potential, and obviously the season coming to a, just a bitter halt, but uh, before we get into that, and we get into all the contracts and things I want to talk about, how are you? You got the offseason now. Are you going to get in drumming? What's going on? Ha! <laughs> I'm good. You know, the off season, I always tell people the off season is like me being a doctor on call. You just never know when news is going to happen. You never know when they're going to sign somebody or release somebody or all things. But, you know, normally I have a pretty good idea of when everything's going to happen because it's all pretty much laid out. This year is going to be different. We just don't know what the off season looks like, right? We don't know exactly, you know, we don't, we haven't, don't have our cues yet from the league on exactly how everything's going to go, certain dates, stuff like this. So I kind of have to wait around for that, poke around for that. Uh, normally I'd be going to either the senior bowl this week or the combine owners meetings in March, you know, none of that's going to happen this year. So yeah, it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, so what am I going to do in the meantime? Well, I don't know. I don't, I can't drum. I got the only drum set I have here is my son's little tiny drum set. Like Max, he's got a little one. I don't actually have a drum set at my house. Um, but you know, I, I'll go to the gym. I'll work out a little bit. I'll read, I'll do some things around the house, basically fix some stuff up. Um, I shouldn't lie. I don't really fix anything up. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll figure things out. We've gone a year without with having to do all that. So I guess I, what's, what's another few months, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, over here, I'm just, I don't know. I don't know what to do with myself now, Sal. <laughs> I don't know what to do. You know, I'm not looking to, I'm not looking forward to eating pizza and wings on the weekend. Now I'm just kind of like, okay, here we go. Uh, you know, another off season, but you know, it's not that bitter. Uh, there's a lot of good. There's a lot of awesome things to talk about. And how about we just begin? Uh, obviously, such a monumental season for Josh Allen and Sean McDermott. I'm going to start with them because, I mean, holy smokes, for them to just come out of the gate, not afraid, ready to rumble, and lead this team to the AFC Championship. It's just incredible. So after what you saw in 2020 and in the AFC Championship run, so what do you think the Bills need to do to take that next step and get to the Super Bowl? Well, obviously, the Chiefs are the team they're going to have to get through, right? Now, who knows how that plays out? This isn't like a situation like New England where they're in their division, they're going to play them twice, and they have to beat them out no matter what. You could get a situation where you don't even play the Chiefs, you know, if they get knocked off or something like that, right? So that's not the case. They're not fighting with them for the division. Now, I do think, you know, you have to think about them as in terms of now fighting for the number one seed because let's remember that's the only, you know, team that gets a bye week is the number one seed. So I think that the, the Chiefs have to be the team that you have to think about how you beat them. That said, as Brandon Bean explained as his postseason Zoom call on Wednesday, you know, the goal is still to win the division. You you can't you can't basically just not see the forest through the trees. You have to think about New England and Miami and the Jets. And that's right. That's all well and good. So I think that the biggest thing for me and the biggest takeaway is if you want to be the best team in the AFC, you're gonna to have to find a way to come over the top of Kansas city. I think they need more speed, uh, both on offense and defense. I don't think the bills are a slow team. I just think they're slow compared to Kansas city and what they can, what they can do. Um, they're going to have to find a way to match up with them on both sides of the ball better. There's no doubt about that. But I also think, you know, 
there's one thing they don't have to do. They just got it. That's the experience. You know, they'll, they'll be better because of what they went through this year. There's no doubt about that. I've always said that this team reminds me a lot of the 1988 team when they just kind of burst on the scene. You're like, wow, these guys are really good, but they weren't quite ready. Like we thought they were. And then they got to the AC championship game. They went to to Cincinnati. They lost to the Bengals 21 to 10 in that game. And you know what? The same kind of situation played out here. So I think we're, this is a beginning, not an end, but there is room to grow and there's room to get better and specifically to try and beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Sal, you are an almanac. I just, I don't know how else to call you. It's just, I can't get sick of hearing you talk about the history of the Bills and how it relates to now. You bringing that up, I think just for me, gives me so much anticipation and hope for what's to come. You're not talking about 93, 92, 91. You're talking about, you said 88, correct? Mm-hmm. 1988. And, and, Bills went to the championship game in 88 against the Cincinnati Bengals. What's funny is, I'll tell you exactly what happened. This is, you're going to be like, no way. You're going to be like, you have a photographic memory? No, but I, this <laughs> thing's like, like, okay, we all have our own things in life, right? Like, I have no idea how to change the oil in my car. The only thing I know is where to stick a key, but I know about <laughs> I know the Bills, right? So I will tell you what happened. The Bills and the Bengals in 1988 were on a collision course, basically, and were fighting out to see, you know, who would have the top, the best record. And whoever winds up with the best record is going to wind up, you know, the number one seed, essentially, and going and hosting in the playoffs. So the Bengals, at the end of the year, played the Washington Redskins at the time, the Redskins. And if they lose, the Bills get the number one seed. If they win, the Bills get it. At the end of regulation, Chip Miller, a... Uh, field goal kicker for the Redskins hit the upright with a chance to beat the Bengals. He hit the upright. They go to overtime. The Bengals win. They get the number one seed. The Bills have to go to Cincinnati in the playoffs, and they wind up losing in the AFC Championship game. Wow. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Chills down my spine just hearing you talk about that. I mean, you know, thinking about this whole run and looking at where they're at now, I, I agree with you. Yes, you have to match the speed. You know, I, I just... I also think there's a difference between speed, getting to that point of what Kansas City does, but also just being loose. And, you know, there's something about watching an offensive player play loose. And I think it just looks like they're comfortable. And I feel like a lot of what has to happen next year is a maturity factor in players just playing more comfortable. You got the, we got it, we got to give the Bills a whole ton more credit than Kansas City. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, think about this, right? Kansas City, they have been seasoned for Super Bowl runs at this point. Uh, they don't got players like Stephon Diggs their first year just jumping in and being the number one receiver in the NFL. That's unheard of, and he was with the Buffalo Bills. And then you have Isaiah McKenzie uh, out of nowhere just bursting onto the field, having an incredible season. Uh, I, think, I think probably the best season of his career. And, you know... Obviously, Gabe Davis, a rookie coming into the scene, filling in for John Brown. There was, there's so many narratives that go into this whole season. And all I am looking at is if the Bills can play more loose, I think they can play faster. And I think that comes with being more comfortable with the scheme, comfortable with each other. And it's almost like the offense was shocked that Josh Allen was absolutely electrifying. And I thought that was awesome. As a fan, I couldn't even process. It took me up until, I think, right around the Seattle game to really believe, like, this guy is going to be a superstar. This isn't a fluke. 
And at the least, we're going to finish the season with 10 to 11 wins. We finished 13 and three. It's absolutely incredible. Um, you know, I'm super pumped. I don't think the Bills had it the easiest uh, with the second seed in the playoffs. I mean, you look at the Indianapolis, Indianapolis Colts. No one wanted to play the Indianapolis Colts. No one wanted to play the Indianapolis Colts. Let's just be clear. And nobody wanted to play the Baltimore Ravens. The Buffalo Bills played both of those teams, convincingly beat them. Uh, for the Colts game, it was towards the end. They really put their foot um, you know, on their throat. And I'm looking at the Baltimore Ravens game, and I'm applauding the defense for finally just having a, just a staple game that really lets the league know at large that it doesn't matter. The Buffalo Bills are here to stay, and we're here to back up our offense. And, you know, I'm super proud of them. I'm super thankful. I want to finish off with this point. I'm super thankful that the Buffalo Bills stuck together through such a tough time in our country and with COVID going on, you name it. And they stuck it through and they were a beacon of hope for people to just keep going, keep pushing. And, you know, that's what Buffalo, the city of Buffalo is all about. And um, I think it's starting to trickle into the Buffalo Sabres team as well. We can talk about that another day, though. Uh, you know, super excited, Sal. And um, so how about we talk about something I think that is really starting to, uh, you know, get into people's oh, uh, ears. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Ask me a question about any of it or not. I didn't know what you wanted to, you know, if you it, what, what you thought or where you're going. So I just want to touch on a few things because I love the passion, dude. I love the energy. I love the passion. And I know, like, why you're saying all these things. But. I, I disagree with you on, on on several issues. Number one, they did not convincingly beat the Indianapolis Colts. They almost lost to them. The Colts played a great game. The Colts were right there, and it came down to the last possession. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, it was not. It, they did not run away from them. They struggled on offense against the Baltimore Ravens. They they did enough to win. They beat them. The scoreboard wise, they got a pick six, but you know, Baltimore is within eight yards of tying that up. You know, I mean, they didn't play their best football in the playoffs. Uh, it wasn't like they went out there and just went rough shot. They did in the last month of the regular season. There's no doubt about that. They were just kind of beating teams up uh, from the get-go. But I think the discussion is, though, in what you're saying, and I guess I'm hearing you saying, like, you don't think that they were comfortable with the scheme this year, and that's why they weren't loose? I think you look at Stefan Diggs getting plugged in, and then it's just unheard of for a player of his caliber to get plugged in right away and right away have AFC championship-type success. Um, literally carried 127 balls this year though. I think, you know, that to me shows he's pretty comfortable in the scheme, right? Well, I'm saying you look at the effect he had on the entire team and I'm talking about at large, you can't just solely rely on Stefan Diggs. You saw what happened in the AFC championship. I'm talking about the offense as a whole playing yeah. more comfortable, playing more loose. And what I made the point about the whole idea of them winning convincingly when they won the game, it's like the media and everyone at large were convinced about the Buffalo bills. That's kind of the point that I was getting I think at. Most people were pretty convinced going in. I mean, you know, they did win 13 games. They were the second seed. I, I think, I think the chip on the shoulder that Bills fans have, and people in Buffalo that you know everybody's against us, no one believes in us. I think a lot of that is it gets it. It wasn't really true by the end of the year. You know, there were lots of people picking the Buffalo Bills to beat the Chiefs, go to the Super Bowl. Lots of people. Um, I, I don't think anybody like. In fact, I think. People were kind of surprised that they struggled a little bit with the Colts, you know, and that the Colts came in and had a chance to beat them. But I, I think what you saw in the Chiefs game is I don't think it's any any sort of uncomfortability with the scheme at all. I, I just think that there was a, an experience factor because you what, what you said, the Chiefs had been there. I mean, the Chiefs were seasoned for that. There's no doubt about that. Um, 
you know, they'd been, they had already won a Super Bowl, but Andy Reid, Sean made a point the other day in his press conference, and I think it was, it's a, it's a debatable, like, way you look at it, but I understand where he's coming from. He said the Chiefs are eight years into their build. The Bills are four years into their build. And if you look at it, you're like, wait a minute, they've only had Patrick Mahomes for three years, really, right? Uh, four years. But I understand what he's saying because Andy Reid's been there for eight years, so it's all Andy Reid's staff, it's Andy Reid's program. The Bills are only four years into Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean's program. And to me, that's the larger point of why they might have looked the way they did on Sunday. They did not play very well on Sunday. I think it was a combination of – I think they played as a team that said, oh, my God, these are the Kansas City Chiefs. They're better than us. We better do whatever we can to stay in this game as long as we can. And when you play like that, that's when you tighten up and you're not as loose, if that makes sense. That's what I think happened. Yeah, I, well, going into that game, the number one thing I knew would it be an issue if it didn't just get taken care of at least by halftime was separation with the receivers. And, you know, Cole Beasley, God bless him, playing broken. <laughs> uh, you know, you look at Gabe Davis playing against those receivers. I, and just looking at the way that defense played at large against us, look, I got to take my hat off to the Kansas City Chiefs. They did not let any receiver basically get open at all in that game. It was very tough sledding. Um, what I'm talking about is I just think that you got new guys like Gabe Davis and they're playing on this huge stage and Josh Allen is playing on the hugest stage, hugest stage of his career, you know, Devin Singletary, you name it. And I talk about the whole looseness and being comfortable in a scheme thing, because eventually when a team like that is playing against you and they're pressing you and they're imposing their will on you, you got to play a little bit more confident. I think that's where that's where the issue comes from. It's like the confidence thing. It's like, okay, they impose their will on you early, but the game's not over. And I think that the defense uh, was getting, I, I think they weren't getting their fair shake. I mean, how in the hell do you stop Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey? When you're plugging up all the other holes, you're expecting your offense to at least give you that jump start when you get when they get the ball back. And that consistently wasn't happening in the red zone. And I talked about with Bruce on the last podcast, the red zone was the bread and butter of the Buffalo Bills the whole year. Yet we weren't able to execute the entire game. And, you know, that was very frustrating. And that's where I talk about, you know, that's what I thought was going to be the, you know, the bread and butter of winning this game, or at least taking it to a point where we can win by a field goal or a touchdown, whatever. It just was one of those things where you saw we could not, we could not get a bone when it comes down to, you know, the red zone. And I look at guys like Gabe Davis. I look at guys like Devin Singletary, you know, dropping a key ball. It wasn't in the red zone when he dropped that key ball, but you know, getting into a rhythm, uh, I think is very necessary for the bills going forward. And I think if we're going to get to that point, we have to be able to get there. Um, but that, right. Everything you said is right. To me, it goes back to just the experience factor being on that stage. It's not, you know, and they, but you have to, the Chiefs did a great job of forcing the Bills to be like that. A, the Chiefs are a better team. They just have more talent right now. I mean, that's just a fact. And the Bills went to their place. They also played in front of 17,000 fans, uh, mostly Chiefs fans, obviously, that yes. they had not all year. I think that played a factor in their communication. You know, there's just something to be said for having that experience, being in that situation. You know, the Kansas City Chiefs have a Super Bowl. Andy Reid has been to many, many championship games. I know Sean McDermott has coached in some, but this group, they haven't been there together yet. But when it comes time, when it comes down to like, you know, what happened and things like that, they took a page out of 
the reason why those receivers couldn't get open to me was they took a page out of the Ravens book. The Ravens did the same thing against the Bills, but you didn't think the Chiefs could because they don't have those corners. But the Chiefs basically said, hey, the Ravens got up, they pressed them, and they made it difficult for them to get off the line of scrimmage. And when that happens, Josh Allen has to start thinking his way through a bunch of stuff, and I think they made it difficult for him to do that. And then he had to hold on to the ball a little bit longer. He took some sacks. The other thing, and Allen talked about this, and we, we mentioned it on the game broadcast, and, it, and then Allen basically confirmed it after. It was kind of clear to see as we were doing the game, which is the Chiefs were really mixing things up against Allen, and he was changing the play, and then they'd mix it up again, and he couldn't change the play again because communication, number one, and time on the play clock, number two. So he'd get to the line. He'd have a play called. The Chiefs would change their defense. He'd change the play. They'd change their defense again, and now he can't change the play again because it's just it, – so now he's got to figure out what to do post-snap, and everything just kind of goes haywire. But again, that goes back to – being ready for that moment, being ready for the game. If, if they, to me, as I think Murph or Tasker, one of them said during the game, and it was true, just call the play and go out there and execute it and just play with it. And whatever defense they call, that's fine. But no, but at least then you're having confidence in what you're running. And you're not trying to scramble to figure out what you have to run post-snap. So I think there were a lot of issues that went into that. Um, you know, I just don't want to get too far away from, to me, I don't want to get too far away from, there was a gap between the two teams. And yeah. both, both in talent and experience level, and that's okay. That happens. It, 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 they'll be better for it. You hope that they have, you know, better scheme or whatever, but I don't know. I heard people like, you know, oh my God, I can't believe they didn't do this against Kelsey or this against Hill. Well, look, these are all world players <laughs> at what they do. You know, I, it, they make a lot of people look foolish. It's not just the Buffalo Bills. So hopefully they'll be better and they can bridge that gap and they can have more talent and coach better in that situation. 110%. And, you know, I went into that game with the expectation that, it's it's Matt Milano or bust against Kelsey, I, but they played more zone. So, you know, I was completely off as far as my analysis and I accept it. I mean, I thought they were going to play more man-to-man against him and they just play a lot more zone where they're trying to make uh, Patrick Mahomes, you know, pick and choose. And then we weren't sacking him. And it was it was just kind of one of those things where I think they just had the Buffalo Bills number. Um, you know, I, I, I want to go into the next point here, Sal. And, you know, look, I'll be honest with you. I was really hoping we'd win the Super Bowl because of what I'm going to mention to you. And then we'll get into the contracts. Look, every team in the AFC, I feel like right now, is reloading. They're like, okay, Josh Allen's in the AFC Championship. And a lot of them are, aren't, getting, aren't giving us a lot of credit. They're thinking they can make the same turnaround, if not quicker than we can, um, than we did, excuse me. And, you know, you look at teams like the Jets. What happens if they plug in Deshaun? Look at teams like, uh, you look at teams like, you know, the LA Chargers. What kind of turnaround they're going to have over there? Look at the Miami Dolphins. They're a quarterback away from being able to compete for the AFC, AFC East title. Who knows what Belichick's thinking? Um, and the list goes on. You know, the Colts are relevant again, although, you know, Phillip Rivers retires. Who knows what they're going to be trying to do? I, Sal, can you just answer me this? It doesn't have to be really huge, but which team in the AFC could pose the biggest threat um, to the Buffalo Bills as far as, you know, getting to the AFC Championship against, uh, you know, said Chiefs? Hmm. Ooh, I, it depends. You tell me who the Colts quarterback is, I'd probably give you a better answer. You know, if yeah. the Colts go out and get Matthew Stafford, I think they immediately become a team like that. You know, the Colts were... I, everybody kept saying before the playoffs, I don't want to play the Ravens, I don't want to play the Ravens, and I'm like, I don't want to play the Colts. To me, the Colts were the, the worst matchup for the Bills, and I think it kind of proved out to be. And that was, you know, in the first round, I mean, because... 
they're very well balanced. You can stop something, but they're going to have something else to counter that. The Ravens were never that team for me because I felt once you shut down Lamar running ball, you're fine. He's not going to throw on you, right? You know what I mean? But the Colts always had a counter punch, and they were they're very good on defense. They're well balanced on defense too. Um, you know, across they have good players at every level. So to me, Tennessee. I'm sorry, Indianapolis is probably that team. I don't know if Tennessee quite is yet. I'm not. I think that. To me, Tennessee's kind of hit their ceiling. They are who they are. And if they catch lightning in a bottle and they get hot, they can go on a run. They can be a team like that. I'm not sold on Cleveland yet. I think Cleveland had a softer schedule. I need to see them actually be able to you know, throw and score against teams. And I know Baker did a really good job. I'm not going to take anything away as the season went on. I don't think their defense is quite good enough. Um, you know, I don't think Pittsburgh is there because of the way that Ben's playing or played. Baltimore could be. I really, I really respect John Harbaugh and his staff. But again, if they're going to stick with Lamar, I just think they'd be, they're just such a one-dimensional team. So with me going through all of them, I think the Colts would be my number one answer here. Um, but tell me who their quarterback is before I actually believe that. And then some people are going to call me crazy, but I think the Browns are. I think the Browns are the biggest threat. I'm not going to, you know, punch my ticket on the Jets or Miami because, you know, people are, oh, Deshaun Watson's definitely going there. We don't know what the Texans have planned, and they sure as hell don't want to let go of him. I'm looking at proof in the pudding. The Browns really, really rattled the Chiefs. They should have won that game. Baker Mayfield was a drive away from being against the Buffalo Bills in the AFC Championship. Make no mistake. I mean, uh, wise, that's true. But I, I think if you go back and watch that game, the Chiefs basically moved the ball at will on them. And then Mahomes was out with a quarter and a half left, and they were still up. Oh, they- but Sal, but, but you got to admit, like when the guy gets a helmet-to-helmet hit, Fumbles the football, you know, out of bounds. If that's a touchdown, momentum goes to the Browns the rest of the game. No doubt. Things like that can happen. I mean, I don't know. If it, yes, they score. I mean, th- that can happen. And sometimes it's just matchups. Sometimes you just don't play as well. I look at the whole body of work, though. And to me, the Cleveland Browns, as good as they were this year, record-wise and all that, they still finished the third in their own division. And they had one of the weaker schedules. And I'm, I don't think their defense is very good. But you're right. They almost beat the Chiefs in, in, a, in a sense. I still don't think if they score that touchdown, I think that it's it's a different game. But I also think the Chiefs kind of really hurt themselves. Like they stopped themselves in the red zone. They missed a field goal. They missed an extra point. You know, I mean, things like that. So, yeah, yeah, they almost beat the Chiefs. I don't think that means they're suddenly a threat to beating the Chiefs, if that makes sense. Well, I, I think about getting back to the AFC Championship. I think the Buffalo Bills' toughest matchup to get there, let's say if they run into Cleveland in the playoffs next year, I give Cleveland – the benefit of the doubt being the biggest threat for the Buffalo Bills being able to get back up there is my point. Maybe. Um, you know, so I'll leave it at that because I know we can rant hey, about that more. I will tell you, they, you share you share the same sentiment as as a lot of people online, which I reminded them today, but they don't play them next year, obviously. They're not in the same division. They don't play, so we won't even know until they get there. But Cleveland's got a tough road to go to. Like I said, I mean, they still have to go through even Pittsburgh and Baltimore just to get into the playoffs, essentially. You know what I mean? Or at least win the division. So it's true. Like They pose some problems. There's no doubt. And if the Bills were to play them, though, I would say this. If Cleveland had won that game against Kansas City, I was supremely confident the Bills would beat the Cleveland Browns in Buffalo. Matchup-wise, yeah, I agree. I agree. I just think um, I'm going to give Cleveland fans and Cleveland the Cleveland Browns the benefit of the doubt. I think out of any other team in the AFC – I think they will be the most improved next year to be able to match up against the Buffalo Bills to challenge the Kansas City Chiefs for the AFC Championship title. Now, really quick here, we need to talk about these contracts because it's starting to circle around. I need you to just plug the hole. Remember that you know that you know that uh, that one commercial, the Flex Seal. 
You know, yeah. where you see all the water just pouring out. I feel like that's what's happening on Twitter. That's happening everywhere about Matt Milano, about all these players, Deshaun Watson, all these things going on. I just want to I want to circle back down to the Buffalo Bills here and I want you to put that flex seal <laughs> on that on that water that's spewing out real quick. Clarify the Matt Milano contract situation for the Buffalo Bills and then the Josh Allen contract. I'm just going to sit back and listen. Well, Matt Milano is going to be a uh, unrestricted free agent in March. Once March, what is it? Fit? I don't have to look at the date this year. 14, 15, 16. It's usually one of those dates. Um, once unrestricted free agency hits, he can go sign with anybody, any team. He's played four years. That's his rookie contract, and he's earned that. That's what players play for. They play. Players play to get to their second contract. They want to play well enough to get to a second contract so they can get paid because their rookie contract doesn't pay them nearly as much, if, especially if they're not a first-round pick, which obviously he wasn't. He was a fifth-round pick. So, um, you know, the Bills, they would like to have Matt Milano back. I know for a fact that Matt Milano would love to be back. But this is a business, and these people work very hard in their entire lives, especially once they become pros and have a rookie contract, to be able to test you know, their, the market and their value. And if Matt Milano's offered a really big contract with another team, he's probably going to take it, and I wouldn't blame him. Uh, I think the Bills will try. The Bills aren't going to – they're going to set a value, whatever that value is. They're going to set a value on what they think Matt Milano is valued to their team for whatever dollar figure. They'll offer him that, and if he gets paid more than that, he'll take it. If not, he'll come back to the Buffalo Bills. But I don't expect the Bills to get in a bidding war for him. That's not, that's not good business for any team. You set a value, and that's what you do. But they have time. They, they, could, they could literally sign him to a contract extension right now if they want. They could sign him to a contract extension anytime, or he could just come back at once he becomes an unrestricted free agent. Um, but I don't expect that to happen. The salary cap is going to, I, I think if COVID didn't happen and the salary cap was going to be in a normal year, like raise 20, 25 million, they might've already gotten it done by now. I think because the uncertainty of the cap and being as low as it's probably going to be, um, they just couldn't do that and they might not even be able to do it. So I, I think you're at least going to see him go to free agency. And then from there, we'll see where it goes. Okay. And so obviously this leads into the big question mark here. Then you got Josh Allen. Uh, what, what, what do we do with him as far as the next two years go then? Do we sign him early? We try to you know sign him next year then? Because Matt Milano's not in. and they're, clear, they're clearly looking to re-sign their quarterback early. Well, I don't know. I mean, is that the case? I, I think that that's part of it, right? I mean, you have to you have to have money for Josh. I agree with you. you have to, there's no doubt. I don't think it's a one-for-one. One. Like, well, if we don't sign Milano, we're giving the money to Josh. I mean, you still have John Feliciano. You still have Daryl Williams. Like, there's guys you have to sign, and that money could come from – not signing Matt Milano. If you sign Matt Milano, you might not be able to afford, you know, one of those guys and let them walk. There's, you know, it gets tricky. I think with, with Josh, what fans have to remember is I would tell this to fans, don't like worry about it right now because he's still under contract for the next year. And he's going to be under contract for the year after that, because they're going to exercise their fifth year option in May, in May of this year, the bills have a chance to say, we're going to exercise our fifth year option on Josh. That would be the 2022 season because 2021, he's already under contract. Fifth year option goes to 2022. So no matter what, they got him for at least two years. And even if things really went south, they could franchise tag him for the 2023 season. So don't worry about like you're not gonna they're gonna lose Josh Allen. The question is when do you want to pay him, and then how much does that impact the salary cap going forward? The 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 ideal scenario would be obviously to not have to pay Josh Allen for a couple more years, but he's earned it. I mean he's in the MVP talk, and Brandon Bean has always said, "I hope I have to pay Josh." That means that it, we we have the right guy. And in, in the other part of this that I think people don't like always fully grasp is the player's side has a say in this, right? As much as he's under contract, 
you know, they could make it messy if they really wanted to and said, hey, like we've earned our contract now. You need to pay the man, right? It's not like it's not just totally up to the bills. Now, contractually it is, but you know, the, the Josh Allen, they're not gonna they don't want it to get to a point where they're fighting with Josh Allen's side. And if Allen's representatives go, we want our money now, I mean they're gonna have to do that. So I think what the way here's my prediction. I have no like no inside information on this. I'm just reading the tea leaves of how I think this usually goes and how it'll go here. I think they signed Josh Allen to a contract extension this year, but I don't think a lot of that money kicks in until next year, if that makes sense. Maybe some this year, but I think the majority of that will start kicking in next year. That'll free some money up this year and a lower salary cap to be able to keep some things going, re-sign a, a Williams, a Feliciano, a Milano, whoever, and then more of that money will kick in next year when the salary cap goes up. It's exactly what they did with Tredavious White, by the way. Well, you know what's – look, I'm going to just be an advocate for Matt Milano here because, look, Sal – when you look at Williams, Feliciano, and Matt Milano, you have to admit the effect they they, they had on the field. If you're gonna if you're gonna rate it from a one to ten, I give Matt Milano the highest one to ten rating because when he was not on the field, the defense was leaky as hell. When Feliciano was not on the field. Yes, it stunk, but we were still able to somehow plug the hole. Defensively, we were a shell of ourselves. Um, and yes, you look at right tackle, and it's it's an important position, whatever have you, but I am more convinced that the Buffalo Bills can figure out who to plug in on offensive line than I am on who they can plug in to fill in the Milano void. That's just my personal opinion from what I've seen this year because A.J. Klein came in and he became the blitzing uh, you know, linebacker, but clearly was not a linebacker who could do uh, half of what Milano does as far as you know affecting the defense and really just filling the void and playing really well with Tremaine Edmonds, uh, mind you. I think that's a big thing. It's that Tremaine Edmonds is a shell of himself with Milano off the field. And Josh Allen and the offense was still able to have success. I'm talking about the offensive side of here where without Feliciano playing there, I, I know I love Mongo. Believe me, I think he is monumental to keep, but I am looking at the future. I am looking at who we're able to plug and chug. And I'm looking at, I don't see anybody in free agency or in the draft that I think we can plug and chug and fill the Milano void. I just don't think I'm not convinced. Um, I trust Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott to be able to plug the other side up better than I do on the defensive side because why? linebackers have been an issue this whole year until but Milano why, got healthy. Why, why wouldn't you not trust them to plug in linebackers? Look, like Sean McDermott's defense is predicated upon exactly what you're talking about. It's it's almost like plug and play. Like He's a really good defensive coach. The, as much as A.J. Klein, I totally agree with you. He's not Matt Milano at all. I mean, he's a straight-line guy. He's not sideline to sideline. He's not the athlete. But after a few struggles, he then became really good in their system, and even won AFC Defensive Player of the Week one week. Like they, he, they were they were fine with him after a while because I, Sean McDermott can coach defense. I th- I I think they are much better at finding defensive players that can fit in where they want than finding an offensive lineman. I think that's hard to do. I okay. I think, but, but I also want to tell you. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Not, I, I want people to make. I, I think you're doing what a lot of people think. It's not. It's not a. It's not that you have to choose Milano, you know, Feliciano or Williams and rank them. Now, ostensibly, they do have to kind of prioritize them. I get that. But really what it comes down to is you're 
what your value is on Matt Milano compared to other teams' value around the league on Matt Milano. That's what it comes down to. The Bills may very well want to keep Matt Milano more than the other guys. The question is, if somebody offers him $14 million a year, are you willing to pay that? Yes, 110%. Because okay, I'm not. I'm not. I, I am not at all. Because to me, a $14 million Matt Milano, it's I, I can put Terrell Dodson in there for a rookie contract less than a million dollars a year and get and get not much of a drop off. Yes, he's 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 not as good. I agree with that. But how much does an how much does a weak side linebacker matter of to wins to actual wins? Like if you put they were 13 and 3 this year, right? Um the three games they lost. Let's say say you had Matt Milano on the field. Do they actually win those games? I don't think so. I, I don't I mean I don't think he's the difference. You know what I mean? Like he's very good. And over over time, and I'm a huge Matt Milano guy, by the way. I love Matt Milano. Yeah, yeah. All I'm telling you is I don't think that it's – I don't – if you're telling me $14 million for Matt Milano, I, I say, I'm sorry. I, I just can't do that. Not for a guy – when I have the coaches I have on defense and the way that they've been able to develop defensive talent like Taron Johnson or Levi Wallace and guys that have come in this league that they've basically made into good players. Well, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt. I will be heartbroken, number one, if Matt Milano does not get re-signed. But I will give the Bills the benefit of the doubt for one reason in particular, that the defense will be okay. And that reason is Star Latulale will be back. The linebackers will have it easier on the run game. So we may be able to develop someone to fill that void. But as far as me seeing who's out there, who'd we be, who, we would, who we would be able to sign, the whole nine yards, I, I just don't see anyone. Um, it's, it's well, really tough. Milano. They drafted him. Remember they could always draft a guy like that. Right. I mean, they didn't draft Feliciano or Williams. They came from other teams. The bills did the bills developed Matt Milano. Yeah, no, they did. Absolutely did. But it took of, it took quite a long time to get him to the point of being this guy, the guy that we, we don't want to let go. Um, and, and that's the thing I get nervous about. It's like, okay, we better hope is all I'm saying. And then not blame Sean McDermott and everyone on why things aren't working. Okay. I think Sean, I, I'm just leaving it at this. I think Matt Milano is just as valuable to the defense as Tredavious White. Tredavious White got cooked against Tyreek Hill. He did not play up to his contract against Tyreek Hill. Then again, who can keep up with him? I don't know. But at, at the end of the day, if you're the starting cornerback, I think you should at least put up a good fight. We clearly could not cover that man to save our lives. Um, as far as plugging up the run, Coveraging. Wait, what, why don't you apply the same standard to Milano and Kelsey then? Well, because they what they did with uh, with Milano is they forced him to play more zone than they did man to man. The whole game, Sal. I'm just being honest. I was looking at the defensive scheme and what they were doing. Matt Milano was either blitzing or he was staying in coverage. I never saw him run sideline to sideline. 1v1 against Travis Kelsey. And to be quite honest with you, it really upset me. And I think they were more concerned about a man with a broken turf toe being able to scramble around, which I think they should have just... Going back to that game, I think they should have just literally said, Matt Milano, your assignment the whole game, do not let this man catch a football. They let him catch like 20. So it's very frustrating from a fan's perspective looking at how they handled Travis Kelsey. But look, I'm not a coach. I'm not a you know coordinator. You know, all I know is the effect I think he could have in a game, given the circumstance. And you know, I, I don't think they really gave him a shot to do that. I think if they if they did, maybe it was just a short 
lived, uh, you know, couple of downs or whatever have you. But, you know, it, it did bother me that I'm looking at Travis Kelsey and I don't see Matt Milano tackling him. It was always somebody else trying to tackle him. For the most part, Sal, you can look at the tape too. I saw Tredavious White covering Travis Kelsey. Right. That's why why, Tra- well, that was my other part of it. Like, I, I think you're also putting too much on Tredavious on Tyree Kill. I mean, he didn't like let him get loose for a bunch of, it was line of scrimmage stuff that they didn't tackle him. You know what I mean? Like, that's not getting beat and cooked down the field. Well, well, Sal, then who else on the, if you're talking about the line of scrimmage, who else can you match up against Travis Kelsey one-on-one and give him trouble at the line? Yeah. Because the minute Travis Kelsey gets off the line, he's a nuisance right. to, yeah. right. Even Matt Milano, you're not, you're not, you don't, you, you have to figure out different ways. You have to double team them. You have to bracket them. You know, I, to me, that would be the bigger issue. I didn't see him get double team much. You know, I have no problem with playing zone. That's who they are. Um, but you have to figure out a way to, you know, make it a lot tougher on him. Look, Travis Kelsey's going to the Hall of Fame probably. He caught 105 passes this year. He's made everybody look foolish. 100%. Um, I, I, don't think, I don't think there was one right answer. It's You can only squeeze so much blood from a stone, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think there's one answer. I, I believe if you put Matt Milano on Travis Kelsey, he gets beaten all day, actually. I, I think any linebacker does. That's what he does. He just, he's, he's Travis Kelsey, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But the Bills have been beaten by, by tight ends all year. Mike Gusecki had a day against them. Um, Darren Waller had nice numbers. Um, I have to remember what John o. Smith had. Look what Jack Doyle did in the first round of the playoffs. And by the way, Milano was on Jack Doyle several times in that game. Well, Mike Gusecki was shut down in that last matchup. And Matt Milano yeah, was but I, mean, I mean, in week number two, he was incredible. That's right. But that, but the thing is, Matt Milano, when Mike Gusecki was on the field, Gusecki was nowhere to be found. I, 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 just, I just saw that. And I, I know Matt Milano, I believe, was hurt in that, uh, in that Dolphins game. And it was A.J. Klein. Uh, well, who is just I, the nickel, the nickel linebacker there. Matt Milano, one-on-one, Travis Kelsey shuts him down. I totally disagree. I think that they, they could have had a better plan. To me, that's not like what the plan should be. I just don't think – I think you're giving Milano way too much credit for like being a one-on-one cover guy, especially against the guy as great as Travis Kelsey. Yep. Well, again, you know, for me, all I care about is – you know, I, I, I partially agree with you. What, what I disagree is this, we didn't really see, but the first matchup against the Chiefs, Matt Milano was, he was injured, he was in that game, and this matchup, it was like, we were so terrified of their motion, and um, I get it, you know, there's a lot that goes into it, and I guess I just didn't see enough evidence of Travis Kelsey versus Matt Milano for me to be convinced it would have been, um, you know, a different story. Now, with that being said, Travis Kelsey wasn't the issue at large, it was the Kansas City Chiefs, and I totally agree with you on that. You know, I, I think the Chiefs just had the Bills number. I want to leave it at that because the Bills have a lot of work to do to get to that point, to get to the Super Bowl. Sal, it's amazing having you on the Buff Hub once again. Uh, you know, your knowledge, your experience, uh, the history that you've lived through, you know about, is so valuable to every Bills fan, um, which is why this is your second time this week being on Buffalo Rumblings. I mean, we appreciate you and everything you do for the Buffalo Bills organization um, and for us Bills fans. So obviously, just want to give you a chance here to tell tell the audience where they can find all of your content. You know, you are the host of WGR Radio, which my dad also, I just want to tell you, he says hi. He misses you and uh, <laughs> he hopes like, everything's hi, good. Hi, hi to your dad. That's right. Now, what's his name? Louis Vega. Louis. What's up, Louis? No doubt. Um, yeah, Sal Sports on Twitter, obviously. I 
you know, I'll be on in the mornings and the afternoons. Um, you know, I'm usually on every day with the guys, but now it'll be a little less frequent, but they'll still have me on. And then, you know, now's the time people start taking vacations because the season's over. So I'll be filling in as a, as a host. So, you know, you'll be able to hear me on WGR, no doubt, but you know, South sports on Twitter. I got, I tweeted out yesterday and this week's, uh, that if people want to see like the contract chart, I have it all color coded. Who's a UFA, who's an RFA, like stuff like that. I'll be doing to, you know, keep people updated on what's going on and things like that. Fantastic. Well, Sal, it's always a pleasure having you on the Buff Hub, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. Thank you to everyone listening this whole entire year, hearing me rant, hearing me belt my lungs out about what I think the Bills should do, whatever have you. I really appreciate you on Twitter, everything, um, all the all the fan response. So have a great rest of your weekend. Uh, I don't know who you're, vo- who you're going for in the Super Bowl. Who, who do you got, Sal? Real quick. I'll take the Chiefs. I don't think the Buccaneers offense can hang with them. Okay, I'm, I'm actually going to go with the opposite. It's another conversation for another time, but I really do believe that the Bucks' defense is underrated. I think Mike yeah, Evans is going to pose trouble for their cornerbacks. They're very good. There's no doubt about that. I think it's going to be a good game. Yeah, well, Levante David, you got you got the other guy, 45 there. I mean, fantastic, fantastic linebackers. So we're, we're going to see what these uh, Hall of Fame studs are going to do uh, in this MJ versus LeBron-esque match up here so thank you ladies and gentlemen again for joining me on the buff hub have a great rest of your weekend go bills